All right, folks. Welcome back to Life's Mountain Wire football podcast preview extravaganza going forward. Jeremy here, Matt Kennerly, MWWire.com's website, so check it all out. And how you doing, man? Uh, you know, it is, you know, same old, same old. Keep my fingers crossed that we're actually going to have a season to talk about. Yeah, that's kind of uh, the big thing at the moment, right? A little bit, yeah. That's kind of the, uh, what do we call it, the rain cloud over the, over the, over the world? Mm-hmm. Well, I get well. That's, that's one way of putting it. Yeah. Let's put it this way: R- relatively speaking, not a big deal, but it would be nice if it happened, right? Very nice. Yes. So this week, doing Air Force. Um, also, today's day. The uh, is there a name for the Twitter ex- expungement to people? <laughs> I don't know that we've agreed upon an official name yet. No. Can we make one now? <laughs> I never thought of one. That would be very difficult to do. I came out of nowhere. I'm like, oh, I can't tweet. That's awesome. So I retweet and I let people else have fun of my account. But uh, not that this is college football related, but Twitter was a different experience for at least a couple hours for some people, right? That's true. So that was weird today. It just adds to the weirdness of 2020. But we're not doing weird stuff today. We're talking Air Force football. All business. Uh, 99%. We did some shenanigans at the beginning there, but it's business yeah, time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> because we're talking about... No, I'm talking about Air Force football. Oh, gee, no kidding, man. They are... Well, let's go to. Should we start the big news that um, they now have a current eleven game schedule? That's true. So we normally go schedule by schedule, but this is big, big news about if you under a rock. If you listen to us at all, read our stuff, anything college football, Big Ten and Pac twelve, obviously going only conference game or our last podcast. We talked about this before, but Matt, we got to let people know a little bit. They may not have heard our last show, which you should listen to, where we questioned the validity or not validity, but the. Uh, Possibility of college football going forward or not. Mm-hmm. P- Purdue, a game, a very winnable game off the schedule for Air Force. Yeah. Disappointing. Um, should, should we still make our fake predictions when we go through the uh, season preview, the game preview? Yeah, we can if you want to. I think that'll be a good thing to do. But let's, uh, how do we start with last year? We, what we do, we normally do. You kind of give a debrief for one of us about last year. So, Air Force, uh, you can take it. Last year was a uh, one of the better seasons ever for Troy Calhoun and his Falcons, right? Yeah, unqualified success. I think, you know, they had strong performances on both sides of the ball, but I think, you know, the the majority of the credit, at least from an objective point of view, definitely goes to the offense. Because, you know, in in terms of points per drive, they were 10th overall in the country by net points per drive. And most of that owed to the fact that they were 6th in offensive points per drive, um, 25th in the final SPF Plus rankings, which was the best in the Mountain West. And while it's it's easy to say that they should remain competitive, it, it seems like, you know, thinking ahead to 2020 that a repeat performance of that caliber is going to be very difficult to do. And because we're going to go through this position by position, but it's going to become clear pretty quickly, they have to replace a lot. And if you go by Bill Connolly's measure of returning production, they are dead last in the Mountain West in that regard. They are 128th nationally in returning production. So while we know some of the big stars, some of the familiar names, it's really the the new names or maybe the, the in some respects some of the role players who contributed to last year's successes who are going to have to step into you know bigger positions, bigger responsibilities. And you know I'm I'm not going to say that it's totally off the table that they do what they did last year. 
but you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, a lot of holes to fill in that regard. Can I say, like, you, I didn't realize they're that low in production. I knew they're pretty low because he's like Jerob Sand Saunders and a couple defenders. Could could the case be made? Their percentage of offensive losing is because of the once in a decade passing game they had last year. I mean, I think you can. Um, I don't have the article in front of me because Bill Connolly measures returning production on offense and defense oh. in different ways. So it's weighted uh, on offense most heavily towards uh, offensive line. Quarter, qu- quarterback passing yards accounts for roughly a third of it, and receiving yards accounts for another third. And then uh, career starts on the offensive line is roughly one eighth, and then offensive line snaps. And then rushing yards is roughly seven percent. And if you if you just Google Bill Connolly returning production, you can kind of see the overall yeah. breakdown for yourself. Yeah, I have it right but here. Yeah, You're dead on. Definitely yeah. some things that drive that number more than others. I that number is shocking to me because I haven't looked at this article in a while. I think now I can't say it's low because that's his numbers, but I think it does skew a little bit because there are losses, but and they lose their. Best receiver since Jalen Robinette, and he's arguably better than him. And they passed more. If they go back mm-hmm. to more just running traditionally, like I get the percentage of numbers, but I think the total production they have overall could be fairly similar. It's just a bit more running. It's still going to take a hit. I'm not going to deny that at all. I just think if there's a team that's going to overcome losing that good of a talented player, it's probably a team that does this type of offense where they bring one of the best offensive lines in the conference – Great running back. Our reigning offensive player of the year from last season, Donald Hammond, a third quarterback. Mm-hmm. So I think there's enough to offset that. And who knows, maybe there's a receiver that will step up and get within 15 or 20% of of what they did last year with their leading guys. Yeah, and I mean, I think if we're going to start talking about the quarterback position, I feel like I'm, I'm exhausting myself when I say this in pretty much every podcast we've recorded to this point. But Hammond is really, I think, you know, even with the guys that they're replacing around him, is going to drive how far this team will go. Because, yeah, I, I feel like I, I beat this drum all off season. If you go look at his numbers, like what he was doing, especially in conference play, was for an Air Force quarterback off the charts. And you know, just in terms of like passer rating, for instance, I think he was one of six quarterbacks in the past decade to have a passer rating over 200 in conference play and that put him in company with guys like kyler murray and baker mayfield heard of those guys i forget the i forget the exact list you know and like a couple of those guys were also option quarterbacks i remember uh, navy's will worth was another one but you know just in terms of you know standard numbers the fact that he was averaging 11.9 yards per attempt you know, for a Falcons court, for among Falcons quarterbacks that had the bulk of the playing time uh, over the last decade, that was the highest such figure. And, you know, we talk about, you know, how is the offense going to be different? You know, how are they going to regress? How could they improve? You know, one thing I think about is the fact that, you know, even if it's going to be really difficult to average almost 12 yards per pass again, that could be offset a little bit by the fact that at least in, in terms of his time as a starting quarterback or just in terms of his time on the field for Air Force, he hasn't really run as much as Air Force quarterbacks typically do. Like over the last two years, he's only averaged a shade over nine carries per game. And that is actually unusually low, especially if you go back and look over the past decade. You know, you know Carson Roberts, Nate Romine, 
Arian Worthman, Tim Jefferson, Asher Clark, mm-hmm. all those guys were averaging somewhere between like 11 and 14 carries per game. And so, you know, even if they lose a little bit of that big playability through the air, which and then we'll talk more about the receivers in a little bit, that might be more than one way to make up for it. But, you know, what you always have to caution yourself against if you're Air Force is you, you want to be able to keep him upright, especially if he has the potential to be as productive as he was last year. And at quarterback in particular, there's really no proven backup this time around either. Yeah, they've always had. Like, he was the backup two years ago. They've yeah. had, um, it was Isaiah Sanders is now at Stanford. He transferred yes. this offseason, so they lose him. And, and Mike Schmidt graduated, and mm-hmm. he was he was a guy who, when Hammond was injured in the middle of the season, he came in and casually just kind of lit Hawaii up on a Saturday yeah. <laughs> <laughs> So, and it's not to say that they don't have options back there. I, I imagine that Warren Bryan, who, if I remember correctly, was they, they haven't updated the the site to include the 2020 roster just yet. Um, and Warren Bryan was the only other guy listed as a quarterback. He's going to be a junior, and so I imagine he'll probably have the inside track to that quarterback two job. But you know, having that guy prepared, you know, and this is probably something we say every year. But especially for a team like Air Force, is a very important role to have. Yeah, because so while we know him, while we know Hammond is the star, Brian, me, <laughs> Brian, or even you know a guy like Chance Stevenson, who was a running back, who was, I think, getting some playing time in the spring at quarterback. You know, one of those two guys, or maybe someone else, whoever that guy is, could be important. Maybe not now, but in October or November when you know the running game takes a beating and things like that yeah definitely because this is because this is the first time in probably i want to say at least four years where air force like looking back to 2019 where they had basically one quarterback the entire year and so that's that's a big deal but look at you mentioned the running stuff the amount of carries he had like he actually had uptick the final four games 12 11 15 and 16 he had the carries but and he had five touchdowns which is nice almost a third of his year but his production was drastically bad. Like it yeah. seems like the more carries he's had outside of playing at Navy and Boise State, which could have been because it's earlier in the year, health wise, everybody's doing it better. We're good. But like Fresno State, thirteen attempts, average two eight two eight five a game. Colorado mm-hmm. State, three and a half yards a carry, twelve carries. Wyoming, I'm not sure if that was some scrambling ability. I don't recall because their defense is really good. But fifteen for thirty five. That's so two point three. So he needs to strike a balance, and maybe he'll. That'll be done, but that's something to look forward to. If you give him five more carries, maybe his sweet spot is between eight and eleven a game, and not more than that. Because when he had mm-hmm. like San Jose State four for twenty five, like when he had under ten carries, he's much more productive than we got to ten plus. Yeah, and so that's something I look forward to. And part of it that is uh, the passing game and everything. But the, this guy, like he, how do you explain? Like we're we're working on our all conference team. It might be out by the time you hear this. It'll be out fairly soon. But like you have Phil Still. Over at College Football News, they put him on the fourteen quarterback. How's mm-hmm. that even possible? Is he like he's either one or two, and I don't think it's close. Well, I mean, I think, I think there is a conversation to be had, and you know, and this isn't a Colorado State podcast, but you know, Patrick O'Brien more than held his own when he, did. he took the reins at quarterback for the Rams last year, and the conference is full of up and coming guys who are going to be, you know the unquestioned quarterback ones like, you know, Chevin, yeah, Chevin Cordero at uh, Hawaii mm-hmm. um, or Carson Strong at Nevada, who had a, you know, had a pretty solid freshman year. Yeah. So, 
it's not like there aren't cases for those guys. I think that it's just very easy for a running quarterback to be overlooked. Yeah, like, I could see Patrick O'Brien might be a... Th- like, it's Bachmeyer and Hammond, for sure. O'Brien, I'm up pretty high in him. Everybody Raj is like, what's the big deal? I'm like, well, when he got that receiving core, buddy, he's going to make some plays. Mm-hmm. But it, it is a running QB thing. But, like, is there? there's no excuse to put him behind Hawaii's quarterback, in my opinion. Like, I don't see... Um, I wouldn't think so, no. no. I mean, I'm like, maybe Shavon does outperform him, but, like, this year will be weird picking production, picking players once the season goes on because how many games have been lost, and most likely more games. If it's all playing 10 games here, 9 games here, 12 games here, it's going to be hard to look and to see who's the best player. But what Hammond did, like, I know the running quarterback is hard to predict, or project, like, oh, he's a quarterback, but... He runs the ball up. But, like, looking at the national QB passing, I know he didn't have the attempts to qualify under CFB stats, but he uh, he would have been he would have led the nation in any quarterback because Army quarterback's not throwing like this. Any other option quarterback who wouldn't qualify for the uh, attempt minimum they'd want to show on the – when he soared by, like, yards per game, yards per attempt, he would have been number one in the country over Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow, and Tyler Huntley, and Tanner Mangum, the only other four to go over 10 a game. And so – it just depends. Like, we'll get second, but he has the talent to do that. It helps in both ways, but running back. It's also... That's, no- the, that's the other thing. It's like, you know, the, the other thing that really obscures how good he was is the running back situation was loaded last year. Yeah. They were productive last year. And there's a very good chance that they will be both of those things again this year. They could be even better. Despite the, even despite the fact that they're losing, you know, some pieces like Taven Burdo's moved on. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christian Ballarder's moved on, but you know a lot of their biggest pieces are coming back, and even some of the guys who got nicked up last year, if they're 100 percent healthy, you know you don't have to look very far to see a backfield that goes four deep. Yeah, and and that and if you're a Falcons fan, that's exactly where you want this offense to be. Yeah, you got Kane Remsburg, who like the con- running conference running backs will be huge. But like Kane Remsburg, last time we saw him, Washington State, 26 for 178. By far his best game of the year. But he played against good teams or against Power Five teams. Colorado, hundred and forty something yards. He put up a solid sixty-three versus call versus Wyoming as a good defense. Like so, he's going to be the main guy, and he averaged like almost six yards a carry. You have him coming back, like you mentioned. We have Hamid, who's probably going to run a touch more. I don't know how many more carries he give to Remsburg. He had one eighty-one, which was like top five in the conference. But he also have remember. I know you lost Berto. We also have uh, who is it? Um, Timothy Jackson as well. Duval. Yeah. Run the ball. Give him the ball. What are you doing? Right? Come on. Yeah, and Jackson was one of those guys that I mentioned a minute ago who got nicked up and missed a few games with injury, but he mm-hmm. still managed to average over six yards a carry. I think among qualifying rushers in the conference, he was actually number one. And Remsburg was fourth. And just I want to put it out yeah. there. I feel like Remsburg is one of the more underappreciated yes. players in the conference because he more or less – nearly doubled his workload from 2018 and averaged had the exact same per carry average because that's what he said last year when we talked about their bowl game and after like kind of postseason stuff like he you said if he's a guy you can get not that he can needs many more carries but he's a guy give him just a couple more like give him to 200 which would be a lot like he he could be a first team running back but again this league charles williams xavier valade george Solani, ronnie rivers he might be like a third, technically a third-team running back, essentially, but this league is not short on talent in this position. And so that's why oh, yeah. guys can be yeah, overlooked. I mean, it's tough. 
We're recording this on July 15th, which happened to be the exact day that the Doak Walker Award watch list came out, which is given annually to the nation's best running back. And, and the, the real irony is that Remberg is the one running back star in the conference who was not on the preseason list. Oh, wait. There were seven. Who who made the list? Of not- I know my man, so, I know my guy Dylan Ward made it because I already proclaimed he's my breakup player of the year. And Raj, our buddy Raj, so like, give me a break. I'm like, just watch. But how yeah, does he so not was, make the list? Come on. So it was it was Jalen Warren, George Halani, yeah, um, Ronnie Rivers, Toa Tawa, Miles Reed, Xavier Valade, and Jalen Warren. Come on, give me well, a break. And the, but the, and it, we had this we had this kerfuffle last year about Juwan Washington. Yeah, and it's and it's because <laughs> programs have to submit the names yeah. on behalf of the player. Maybe they, but, I mean, maybe, but I mean, maybe, you're talking about a guy who I'm assuming if he if he ends up with the similar kind of workload to what he did last year, if you just look at some of the the all time players in Mountain West history and on a per carry basis, he's going to be easily in the top ten career wise. You know, yeah. a shade behind like you know guys like Luke Staley and Danell Pumphrey. Like that's the kind of territory we're talking about here. And uh, maybe we got the well, I, I dare to say mid season edition, but you know what I'm saying. With players, he, he probably will be. Yeah, he, it was, yeah. It's also asterisk season pending, but that's yeah. a that's a mistake. Like Miles Reed, I like how I didn't see the total number of players. How many players made the list overall? Like not yeah. the so. You telling me he's not one of the eighty best running backs in, in the NCA FBS? You can blame whoever it is in the athletic department who forgot to do it or didn't do it or what. I'm just saying. You know what the problem is? I already know the problem right now. Air Force fucking Twitter, football Twitter, you're spending too much time on making awesome shoe designs you'll never sell, and you forgot to put a Kater Remsburg on the list. But really, you should sell those shoes. Yeah, sell the shoes! I would buy, like, how, like almost all of those. I'm like, yes, I would buy. Give them to me now. Yes. Um, sell it. Do a charity or do something. Make, like, 10 of them and sell them for, like, 500 bucks each. People would buy that, yeah. for, even for that but I mean, But, I mean, you know, beyond the, the big names like Remsburg and Jackson, you know, there's, this is a, a unit that's getting guys back. Or they're back to 100%. They could be big difference makers, like Josh Stoner, for instance. He only had 23 carries, but he picked up 207 yards. You know, he could be a huge factor. You know, and they've got guys on the depth chart who could easily replace Birdo and Mallard, if not mm-hmm. necessarily, you know, one guy picking up all those 180 carries. It wouldn't surprise me if two guys picked up 90 carries and averaged four and a half to five yards per carry. So, you know, you look down the depth chart of guys like Matthew Merla and Omar Fatah, for instance. Fullbacks. Where if if Jackson gets nicked up again, those guys are, you know, kind of under the radar guys who could very easily, you know, hold huge influence under or over how the season unfolds. They had four guys over 100 plus carries. Hamid, yes. Jackson, Berto, and Remsburg. I'm going to predict they're going to have 2,000 yard rushers this year. That's bold. You think that's bold? Remember back, to, remember back to the day Nevada had th- three of them? Well, I mean, it, it wouldn't surprise me. It's just, yeah, that's a very bold statement. Hey, I'm a bold guy. Come on. That's true. Wait till my predictions for the season come out. Well, do you happen to know when the last time they did that was? I now thought my hand to you. Uh, I'm going backwards through CFB stats right now. I'm in 2014, and I'm still not seeing anything. I, I'm actually shocked it's not more frequent than that. I guess part of it, well, maybe I should be, because they spread it out quite a bit. So that's the thing. It's not... They typically they maybe have like one big guy, but uh, yeah, I've gone back to two thousand nine and I haven't seen two thousand yard rushers. So oh boy, uh, I, I'm getting bold territory here by predicting that. Uh, I'm on ESPN. <laughs> stupid, two- stupid upset pick, we'll call it that. Yeah, that's what we do. 
Okay, hold on. 2007. This is the last time I look, and I'll be quiet to look later. Yeah, even when Chad Hall is around, they weren't getting 2,000 yard rushers. Granted, he had 1,478, 15 touchdowns. And listed, okay, this is hilarious. Listed as a wide receiver. Come on. Huh. <laughs> I remember watching him play. He was so good. He was amazing. The end around, the jet sweeps, the quick passes, he was really good. He would cause Utah trouble, and I didn't like him very much. That's okay. Um, should we go to the offensive line? Which, uh, is it them or Hawaii who has a better offensive line? I think it's Hawaii going into 2020, Be- and and that's mostly because you know as we talked about in the Warriors podcast, the Hawaii's you know got everybody coming back and then some, and Air Force has a couple of All American caliber players coming back, but they're also having to replace three starters, mm. and you know when you go in and you look at the, the the tone that they set by a lot of the advanced metrics last year. You, I mean, it's not hard to make the case that this was the best offensive line in a group of five, if not the best offensive line in America. Ooh, bold. So I'm just going to throw this out there as kind of another season in review minute, right? Mm-hmm. So they were third nationally in line yards per carry, and they trailed Clemson, the national champions, and interestingly enough, Louisiana Lafayette hmm. in that regard. They were they were ninth in opportunity rate, getting their running backs to the second level. They were third in power success rate, which means they were dominant in short yarded situations. They were second in stuff rate, which means that they weren't giving up disruptive plays. They weren't letting defenders get into the backfield. And then they were also fifth in sack rate allowed, just to, for good measure. Which for I think for an Air Force unit, that particular is really unheard of, that level of performance. And so you know, the two guys, like I mentioned a minute ago, the two guys coming back, we know they're awesome. And, I'm, you know, tackle Parker Ferguson and guard Nolan Laufenberg. Those two guys are going to anchor what should still be a pretty good line. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on some of the new guys as well as, you know, other guys coming back from injury. Like Kyle Kreps, for instance, who started four games you know, opposite Laufenberg at guard. Uh, but he ended up missing most of the year to injury, so he is kind of in that same boat as Timothy Jackson and some other guys we'll get to in, uh, in a little bit. As guys who, if they can come back healthy, they could be solid contributors at a minimum. But then they've got other guys who maybe they've only seen you know sparing playing time. They haven't been they haven't had starting playing time. In other words, you know guys like Adam Jewell or, or Jewel Sylvanic having to replace Scott Haddock at, at left tackle who. By the way, if I remember if I remember correctly, he was an all-conference first-team performer last year, or I you know, something like uh, that. Or Christopher Mitchell at center, who, you know, with a team like Air Force, especially having that guy in the middle at the point of attack, is going to be really crucial. Again, they've got options there. They've got guys like Nick Noy and Britton Beasley, but you know, those are two guys who they haven't really seen the big time just yet, and so. I imagine whenever they get back on the field that they're going to try and take as much time as they can to make that right choice because it's so crucial to an offense that runs as much as it does. That makes sense. Yeah. It's uh, it'll like, I was looking over, I say that like the returning production thing and like the offense line gone, they lose so much on there. It's here's the thing about air force. Like you mentioned the guys, great coming back, returning starters there and guys missing. I always think like, as I mentioned before, like the returning productions, not a myth per se, but these guys are ready to go. You know what I mean? Like 
they're smart. They have to work hard. They work as hard as anybody in the country with along the other academies, plus some for workload, class load, and football. So that's why when they say they lose all LSU talent, Calhoun's like, well, well, yeah, we lose all these guys. It's like a start over here and there. But the guys are almost ready to go because of what they do. The offense is not – it's such timing. That's all you got to get down. Not, I, I don't want to downplay. That's all you got to do. But it's a – if you watch them play, it's not all that difficult to know what the offensive line is going to do majority of the time. And so that's where I think they bring in three new start, three new starters – Yes, it may take a minute or two to get going, which is why they may struggle like when they got Boise State early on. But they get Duquesne week one. Okay, that's great. But I think it's like – I don't want to say, oh, they'll be fine, no analysis or anything. But the way they practice and train and what they do and the simil- similarity of what it is, I don't see there being too much of a problem. Will it be as good as last year? No. But it will be, it'll be still be top third in Mountain West every year because their running game is always going to be top third in Mountain West, if not number one every year. So I don't think there's yeah. much concern for that. So it's like it's not elite, but it's still really, really good. Yeah, I mean, I guess what I'm saying is like, there's, it may not seem like there's a huge difference, but there's a huge difference between like being a top five offensive line in the country and being like let's say a top thirty oh, offensive yeah. line, mm-hmm. which is kind of what they were in by up by a lot of those same stats I mentioned a minute ago back in 2018, and that was a team that was that was good if not necessarily great, and so I think that. You know, yeah, you want to say that they're fine, but you know, it's one of those things where you know, fine, you know, considering the year that they just had, may leave some fans wanting a little bit, fairly or not. With, but you know, by the time the season's over, I get it. I'm just, I just think the way they play in practice and what their what the offense is, if it even takes a step back, it'll still be good enough. And mm-hmm. which you may not want to hear it, but also again, they lost seven starters in offense. They went eleven and two. If you go eleven and two and lose. Four basically eight eight starters total each side of the ball return four back offense and defense. It's like you're not a team that's going to reload and do that again. Like I still expect high things because the players they are bringing back are probably the most important positions for a particular Air Force team, specifically in offense. Quarterback, two of your top three running backs, and two offense linemen. Receivers, mm-hmm. not that you could take them or get take them or leave them. It's more obviously last year is more of an anomaly than the typical thing. There's not going to be a receiver that goes 25 yards per catch. There's going to be a deep play threat. We don't know who, and we'll get that in a second. But the guys they have coming back, like, had Air Force, like, would it have made a difference for you if, say, they brought back, like, the production formula? Let's say they brought back four offensive linemen, only one running back, a quarterback, but your top two receivers. Your top two receivers don't provide overall value to what this team can do. They provide stuff that happens, but the sheer numbers in production is not there compared to running backs. Yes, they're 20-plus yards per attempt per catch is great but they're not doing that for 10 catches a game or even six catches a game i'd no, rather I, I get what you're saying well i'm just still, not just you but everybody out there it's like this team it's hard to calculate it's like when you look at sp plus or anything else preseason they do a ton off recruiting well air force recruiting's never going to be great because they're a service academy but like if i'm having these if i'm second to last in fbs but my returning talent is my key strength by miles i'd rather have that than my Top three, top two starting receivers back in all my offensive line. So yes. that's where I'm thinking. Where yes, there could be concerns. The stats don't tell the whole story. Yeah, that's the essentially thing. what you're saying. Yeah, and, and you can make you can make numbers argue either way for anything. But with Air Force, like yeah, if they had Sanders, Saunders back, great. I'd rather have my top running backs and a couple offensive linemen over him. 
by the way, I've been looking it up while we've both been discussing this. The last time Air Force had 2,000-yard rushers in a year. Do you want to take a wild stab? Yeah, because I went back to like 04 and didn't find it. I'm going to say 98. No. 85. Close. 86? A uh, little, little more 84. recent. Oh, more recent? I don't know. 91. 1989. 89. Wow. With uh, D. Dallas and Rodney Lewis. That is surprising, isn't it? A little bit. A little bit. I think it's pretty surprising because of how much they run. I guess. Oh, and, get... and, they, and they had a third guy, Greg Johnson, who ran for 700 yards and scored 16 touchdowns. So there you go. 16 touchdowns as your third back? Yeah. Ooh, not bad. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's pretty good. So what, let's go to wide receiver group because that's kind of where we're at next after me doing all that. So here's the thing where it kind of leads off to what I was saying. Do you want to know? Okay, they completed 68 passes last year, Matt. Mm-hmm. Do you want to know how many passes they lose? They lose Lost. like all but all but three, right? Because uh, Ben Peter Ben Peterson's the guy who has three catches for twenty five yards. Is that well? I'm looking at Brett Brigham from Colorado Springs Gazette. He says fifty nine of sixty eight. Okay, yeah, that sounds about right. So nine, <laughs> nine total catches are back from last year. That's uh, it's not good. But then again, like I said. You, the guy that like, how much does that actually mean? That's my point before leading into it. It's like it's gonna be, you know what I mean? It's like oh no, wait, hold on a second. Oh no, I was, I was correct. I thought I was double backing up something. But you're right. It's like I, we've discussed it before throughout when we kind of done a, the quick hits game by game. It's not necessarily how big it is. It's gonna be kind of who's gonna take take up the production. And I think we were both confident saying they're not gonna have a repeat performance of last year where their top wide receiver goes 20-plus a game per catch. Yeah, between Gerard Sanders and, and Ben Waters, they combined to average 27 yards a catch. It's pretty good. You know, and it, it's the kind of conversation, like, I feel inevitably you have it every two or three years where, oh, well, you know, Jonathan is graduating. Who are they going to replace him with? Or, oh, Jalen Robinette is graduating. Or, you know, Marcus Bennett is graduating. And now, you know, we're having that same conversation again. And so again, it's not like they don't have options. And some of these some of these guys that I think they're expecting to step up into more prominent roles, ironically enough, are some of the guys that we thought were going to step up into more prominent roles this time last year. You know, guys like Brandon Lewis mm-hmm. or David Cormier. You know, and the, the latter guy in particular strikes me as the kind of big play target, like a Robinette, who could stretch the field and go up and get those 50-50 passes if if Hammond and company need him to. But, you know, beyond that, you know, they've got other guys, Daniel, Daniel Morris uh, in, I believe it was Dave Southworn of The Athletic, put together an article. And, and he, Troy Calhoun uh, mentioned Morris as a guy, as one of his first two was the exact quote. Um, so, I mean, that's three guys right there. And then, of course, you got Jake Peterson. Oh, apologize. I, I called him Ben Peterson a moment oh ago. Oh, boy. Careful. <laughs> the team's top returning receiver, three catches, 25 yards. Here's the thing. Here's something interesting to know. I'm looking back. Like I didn't realize Robinette near average like 27 plus per game per per catch. So this past year they had Sanders 24.87. The year before is Marcus Bennett at 19.38. So it's mm-hmm. not like there's going to be and that also led the conference as well. And then if you look at what Saunders Sanders me Sanders did this past year 30 for 746. 2018 he only had 14 catches. And so. Whoever's in the year before, nine. And so it's going to be a guy who's had, partly because it's going to have to be somebody, right? He's going to catch the ball because there's going to have yeah. to be. 
But like the difference in there was pretty big, and also he was he went up eight yards per attempted or sorry per catch as well from year year to year. And that's also with a part of it that helps there. He had the same quarterback, Sanders or not Sanders, excuse me, that's Isaiah Sanders. But like Hammond played a decent amount in eighteen, played all of nineteen, obviously. And mm-hmm. if he's back in twenty, obviously QB, that's going to help these returning guys. And so it's again, I don't. There's not too much to go into this because we're kind of guessing a little bit. But there's going to be a guy. I would guarantee, like the leading receiver is going to be at least sixteen yards per catch. Oh yeah, I mean, I think if it's any lower than that, something has gone terribly wrong with the Falcons season. If you're a sixteen yards per player guy, that's basically hovering around the top seven in the conference, or t- between four and seven. Yeah. And so if you're there, you're one of the better receivers in conference, one of the better deep threats, and Air Force in general. The last time they had it was was 2017 the year they won like four games or something. They went really bad. Uh, I don't remember that off the top of my head. I think so. So I'm looking at 2017. They, well, they went they went five and seven in both 2017 and 2018. So I don't know if it's a numbers thing. I'm looking. I'm sorting by CFB stats. 2017 average yards per catch. Air Force players not even listed, so I don't know what why that's showing that way. But basically, they didn't have a great receiver in 2017, which is a down year. So receiver is important for his offense to be more explosive because, as you know, option offense is one versus 11, your guy versus your guy, your position, your position. The one time, like I said a million times, the one time that nose tackle doesn't go for the dive but decides to go left or right for the pitch, busts up the middle for 20 yards. So one time the DB, they keep taking a step closer, step closer, they bite, you're down the field for 50 yards. Yeah. It's fairly simple. It's just, I know a guy who played against Air Force, like it's boring as heck. But if you screw up once, you're burned and you get benched. And so you got to play boring football to beat them. Yeah. And they, they basically sleep you to death almost. So uh, should we go defense now, which doesn't look much better returning talent, Matt? Yeah, let's do it. So like I said, they lose uh, eight – no, excuse me. I was going to say the eight starters, sorry. Returning four, losing seven, secondary is decimated. Defense is normally not a thing they typically pride themselves – well, I guess it's the right word. It's usually not elite defense. It's usually pretty good, right? If we're going to describe the Air Force defense on a kind of historically in the past 15 years, it's like they're they're pretty good. They're never going to be bad. But last year, they're actually pretty good, which is helpful. Like yards per play was top four, right behind like Boise and Wyoming. But losing all the all those guys, it's like, well, it's a uh, – you got to have a guy step up, right? Well, I mean, if you look in terms of SP+, plus, they were just outside the top 50 – as a defense. There you go, right in the middle, just about. And if you narrow the focus to just kind of the past several years, one thing that really jumps out is that they've been better about defending the run than about defending against the pass. Yeah. And I think that that was especially true last year as well, where they were, you know, fourth in the conference. They gave up essentially three and a half yards per carry. Um, but at the same time, you know, they were giving up a completion rate of 63.1%, and that was the worst figure in the conference. And, you know, they were giving up, you know, a shade over seven and a half yards per attempt through the air, and that was ninth. So, you know, one of their biggest questions on this unit is like, you know, they're kind of starting over at every level of the defense to some, or maybe not to say starting over, but they're reloading. Um, you know, because they've got guys at every position that are moving on to one thing or another. Like Moses Fafita, I think, is maybe the best example of that on the defensive front. You know, you look at the the, the roster and, and kind of parse through the guys who are, are coming back for 2020. And the one thing you notice right away is there's no other 300 pounders. 
The, like, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. 330 pounder. Exactly. That never happens at the academy, ever. <laughs> Which is not to say that they couldn't continue to defend the run well. But, you know, and I think that they have a guy in mind to take over that spot in, in Chris Herrera because he started, I think, most or at least he played most of the second half of last year. And he finished with 20 tackles and two sacks in the last six games. And so, you know, even if he's undersized compared to Vita, maybe undersized compared to the average nose tackle. Yeah. You know, he, he's, he's one of those guys that, you know, a lot of casual fans or people who don't pay attention to the Air Force may not be aware of him. But he's another one of those guys that could be really critical to the team's overall fortunes if he can, if he can at least come close to approaching what Fafita did in 2019. They also and, got Colby Barker, too. He's a pretty big yeah. size guy. Yeah, and they've got guys like Jordan Jackson coming back as well. And I think you know one of the other things that will help is if he can be more disruptive to the level that he was in 2018. Because, exactly. I mean, he, he was respectable last year. I think he had like four and a half tackles for loss or something like that. But I think if he can help them get back, if he can get back to where he was in 2018, you know, one of the things that really jumped out to me in, in looking over, over the advanced stats is that you know despite overall defending the run really well one thing that they really struggled with as a defense last year is the fact that they were 112th on defense and stuff rate so they weren't piling up the tfls to quite the same rate that they were in 2018 and that's one of those things that can improve even with a host of new guys in the front yeah definitely it's like and the guys out in the front like Dave jackson they they have a parker they've always a couple of guys out there and that might be their most experienced position back. But, like, yeah. looking overall, kind of what they did last year, like, sack type stuff, it's like Fafita led the team in sacks, I believe, with six here. They have a couple guys, like, DeMonte Meeks had a four. I think what they need, like, Jackson, you're right. If you can get back to, like, give me nine, like, nine sacks and 12 TFLs, is that, I don't think that's too unreasonable. They need some sort of playmaker, and I think he's the guy to lead the way to do that for what he's done in his career. Last year, it could have been, it could have been a thing where, he just uh, was with other talented guys, and he just didn't get his turn. That happens too sometimes when you you're just you're you're still fine. Like either the teams are looking at you more closely than other teams, or it's like, well, we got good guys. Because last year in 2018, he that's basically what I just mentioned: 12 and a half tackles for loss, only four and a half sacks. So we get about that same range. That's what they need because they need somebody to step up with losing so much talent in the front. And this is going to be. I think this would be their strength of their defense, even though they're losing like Musa and everything. See, I'm tempted to say, I'm tempted to, excuse me, point at the linebackers as the strength of the team, even despite the fact that they're losing a couple of guys in, in you know, uh, maybe it's just one guy in Kyle Johnson, excuse me. He's pretty good, yeah. He, he was pretty good, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, you know, Meeks is coming back and he was an all conference performer last year and he led the team with only nine tackles for loss. And so I think, you know, to your point about, you know, Jackson and maybe the broader point about the front seven is I think Air Force would be happy even if it were just a group effort to improve the tackle for loss. That'd be fine too, yeah. Stuff, right? And I think that's the that's the more likely possibility, especially when you consider some of the guys in particular coming back a linebacker. You know, Lakota Wills, for instance, only played in eight games last year, but he had six TFLs. You know, if he's healthy... You know, that's a difference maker right there. You know, Grant Johnson had maybe his best game of the year in the Cheez-It Bowl last year. He had four TFLs and, you know, played roles all year long. And if he's stepping into one of those inside linebacker spots more permanently, that's another possible difference maker right there. 
And then, you know, again, when you look at linebacker after that, you start getting into some of the more unknown quantities, but it's not to say that they don't have options. Yeah, they got, you know, a guy like T.D. Blackman, for instance, who was one of their better recruits in their 2017 class. He could step up into a role. You know, guys like William Trawick or Grant Young could step up into a role. And so if all those guys can stay healthy, that's, what, six or seven guys right there who could, you know, as a unit, I think, improve some of those rate stats that were, you know, even if they were strong in some areas, they were lacking in others. And so, again, going back to the big question of how could the team change its production this year, that's one of those ways that, to me, seems really easily identifiable where, Maybe they take a step back in terms of like raw yards per carry allowed, but they're improving as a disruptive unit in forcing more three and outs or forcing more turnovers in that kind of way. Yeah, maybe that's yeah. It's fine too. Like it's the same thing. Kind of if you go back to receiving group, they don't need one guy. They like to have one, or I guess running back. I should say, they there's going to be like one or two guys that are above the rest. But sometimes you look at guys three through six, where if you have your third, fourth, say your third through six tacklers. I'll have an, a decent amount on the average up to an above average player or TFLs or whatever. Maybe there's whatever disruptive stat you want to look at. Those those four guys can combine to be like two really good guys or something. That's kind of mm-hmm. what we look at because also losing like yeah, losing seven defenders that's a big deal. And so yeah. and this happens on Falcons teams all the time. Whether it's receiver, your third running back, and stuff like that, or the new receiver. So I think hopefully from what happened last year. And with who the guys are there, that they could actually get. Not that they don't, they're not going to lack confidence, but like I said, Air Force defense is usually just okay. Mm-hmm. And who knows what it'll be this year, but maybe they realize, hey, we won 11 games last year. We have a really good team this year. We have offensive guys who can lead us away. We know we've had defenders on the team, multi year starters, multi year guys playing. We just need a couple of you new guys to come in and help us out. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a low, like kind of a low, not a low bar to set, but it's kind of a a good hype speech to give these guys out there where we've done it before. We're good. Lean on us, but you still got a whole drone. You just don't need to really be as good as me, but be in the same neighborhood and we'll be fine. Yeah. And then let's go to the secondary here. This is an area that's typically, uh, can we say not good? I would say up and down. <laughs> up and down. They've had all Americans for DBs and very terrible DBs. Um, they do lose what? Three of their four starting DBs, correct? Yeah, as well as some other role players as well. The one guy that they have coming back who was a starter all year long was uh, Milton Bunk third. Mm-hmm. He uh, had three picks last year, so there's that. But it's it's a thing where, t- like, look who they play. Part of it too is who they play. They if they play these pass heavy teams and everything, that's an issue. Where they got Boise's got pass these amounts, Hawaii, CSU. They don't have too many pass heavy teams, so maybe this is time because. Matt, I don't think Fresno State's going to pass overly pass more than normal. Not to say they can't get past them. Like San Jose State, they got Trey Walker, wide receiver. Wyoming, we'll see they're going to run the ball. Army, triple option. Mexico, who knows? Utah State, they got a new quarterback today. Lost a quarterback, gained a quarterback. So hmm. that's also helps them out as well when they're breaking in new guys at secondary. But hopefully it's not a year where it's a huge down. That's the one area like year over year. It's like, can we get them to be more consistent? Because there's times where it's like you're letting all this happen. Your running game goes well, decent pass rush, but then secondary gets blown up. And I'm afraid this year, I don't want to say it, but this year might be a time where they may have issues in that area. 
Yeah, and kind of going back to the question we've wrestled with before is like, you know, the, the lack of returning production, like what exactly does that mean? And I think, you know, for the offense, you can kind of lay out a glass half full scenario, but I think it's much more critical for the secondary in particular, because when you look at returning production on defense, passes defended in particular is one of the things year to year that matters the most. And you can read more about it if you Google the article. But, you know, just in, in, in layman's terms, if you look at passes defended coming back from 2019 for this team, the only person on the team that has more than two passes defended, passes defended coming back is Milton Bug III. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on everybody else coming back, um, you know, whether it's, you know, a former starter like James Jones IV, for instance. You know, he could come back and secure one of the quarterback spots. Or whether it's a young guy like David Urey, um, you know, or a, a safety high, a linebacker hybrid like Parker Norin, you know, I think there's there's opportunities for guys to step up and contribute. But I think that as a unit, they've got a lot to prove as far as their ability to get their hands on footballs and create opportunities for themselves, because that's something that Air Force has not necessarily been consistent about from year to year. Yeah, that's that's the one area where it's always a concern for me. Like linebacker, defensive line, usually fine, but it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a tough go. Like you're right, if they get the certain stats out there with bugs and everything, it's what they want to do with the PBUs and everything. It's just uh, don't get beat too bad. Like we know they're gonna get beat. It's just like can you tone it down a little bit, right? <laughs> don't I have mean, the, this. I think the secondary is gonna be the one main thing that's the difference between this team being a nine win team and being a six win team. You think so? So, yeah. so you're telling me your ceiling's only nine wins, right? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I don't know or, or, or if we want to phrase it more broadly, this is this is the unit that could be the difference between stealing a division title and scraping it to bull eligibility. I'm looking right here at my Street and Smith magazine. They have Air Force number one. Just saying. I, I know. Which we'll get to later because I am struggling with my season predictions. Well, and another thing, too, which... I'm assuming we'll talk about the schedule in a moment, but you know they're having to start over pretty much everywhere on special teams as well. Yeah, that's uh, that's not good either. And, and, and in some ways, that might not necessarily be a big deal, but in other ways, it might be a bigger deal than you might suspect. Because hey. you know, in the, in the kicking game, for instance, college kickers not reliable. Yeah, and and Jake Kenke was one of the best kickers in America last year. <laughs> He'd go up in a hide and ask a question? <laughs> well, I mean, because he was 13 of 13 on field goals. And so while he didn't have the same kind of volume as some other specialists that we've talked about in, in past podcasts, there's very little doubt that he was an asset. Yeah. But, you know, he's gone, and they've got guys who could replace him, like Tevye Shuett uh, Pell's role or, or Bryce Honaker. But again, neither of those guys have had extended playing time as a field goal kicker. And, you know, even though they're replacing Charlie Scott, you know, the guys that they have in the mix for that, like Joe Carlson or David Chappelle, again, neither of those guys have any in-game experience between them. So it's it's another one of those areas where, you know, if it's one of the things that goes south, you know, field position is one of those things where for a team that relies as heavily on the ground game as Air Force – Better field position is definitely uh, preferable to having to start from inside the 20 more often than not. And so that's one of those things to really keep an eye on throughout the fall. If they get to practice, who wins those jobs, how effective they are. 
out the gate. All right, I need to do a back pedal, a back step here. We, I'm looking at our questions. Um, let's go back to the secondary really quick. Is it a plus okay. or, plus or minus that the Falcons have a new defensive back coach? Uh, question mark. They bring in. I hope I say your name correct, Coach Cox. Karomi Cox, C-U-R-O-M-E, came over from Albany, did play in the NFL for 40-plus games. He played college at Maryland. And so DB, special teams coach at Coastal Carolina, um, part of Big South champion before I think they moved up to FCS, F, excuse me, FBS. So I don't know. It's a, it's a new coach, so that's something else to think about as well. Where you, that's, a difficult, that's a difficult question to answer just because they're having to reload to a significant degree in the secondary. So I think if if things go sideways right away, I don't know that that's necessarily on any one person. I don't think that's necessarily a fault of the coach in that regard. If there are some growing pains in getting the team to coalesce or getting that unit to coalesce. Well, I'd say if you're an NFL player for 43 games is at least three plus years. It's not bad. Mm-hmm. So I got yeah. that time as well. So it's still a big question mark, but something to note where they return new talent, return very few talent, and bring in a coach who is played at coach to me played at a high level, Maryland, NFL, Broncos, Texans, coached at a variety of levels, Albany, Connecticut, and Coastal Carolina. Yeah. So we'll see. Um, anything else in special teams we need to add, or should we get the schedule time? Uh, let's do it. All right, my schedule was a whole lot of green, but I'm not sure we're going to keep it that way, Matt. I am torn because the lost production is an issue for me, whereas my gut tells me ride Falcons all the way to, to pretty far. Mm-hmm. Week one, Duquesne. Come on, victory, right? Still on for now, right? <sighs> You're bringing me down by saying still on. <laughs> oh, no, I'm, I'm no, saying I'm that, that I, game is still on. It's right? officially, <laughs> yeah, yes, it is still officially happening. Um, that's a good game to get the offensive line going, get the DBs going. Game two, Purdue on the road canceled. Wait, wait, wait. Is it wasn't game? Wasn't that game three? Oh wait, did I put down my schedule incorrectly? Hold on. Um, do you have the schedule in front of you? I must have misspoke. I'm pretty sure game two is Boise State. Boise State. Uh, let me double check here. Regardless, in, in Colorado Springs, the Purdue game is canceled, which sucks hard because they could. Like on like they do you have Bill C's thing up in front of you? Like he could, what's the per- percentage of them winning? You know what? He hasn't gotten to Air Force yet in his countdown. What? Yeah, that, I mean, I think they were a top fifty team uh, in, by SP plus, and he's counting it down by SP plus. Um, vamp for a moment, and I'll see if I can find Purdue. All right, that game was. You're right. I was incorrect. It was week week three Friday night at Purdue. Would have been on the prestigious Big Ten Network, Matt. Prestigious <laughs> Big Ten Network, most likely. But Purdue, they like looking at what they have coming back, what they did. It's a Big Ten team, so that's obviously what you want to beat. You want to play these type of guys. Um, what would have been helpful for them, they played Memphis the week before. What, or Again, supposed to play the week before. And Purdue kind of took a step back from the year before from what they had from who their coach. Um, he was going to go to Louisville, but he stayed around. Mm-hmm. Um why am I spacing? Okay, I found the percentage, name. by the way. What do we got? So they, they gave Purdue a 68% chance to win that game. Yeah, maybe. They were they were favored. The projected margin was 8 points, 8.1. That's too high. Well, they project Purdue as being a top 50 team, essentially, and Air Force as being kind of middle of the pack as far as SP Plus goes. If we were talking about Purdue, they would be returning Jack Plummer, really pretty good quarterback, through mm-hmm. two many interceptions. Um, he's a freshman. Their running game was not good at all with, like, King Duray. Good name, 
but you only have 450 yards. Like, their offense, supposed to be this high-flying offense, which it wasn't last year. Like, they weren't passing the ball very well. They weren't running the, running the ball very well. They did have um, David Bell, who's a really, really, really good freshman receiver, 1,000 yards. So it would have been a – I'm not saying it would have been easy. It would have been a challenge. But I honestly think this could have been a winnable game because Air Force would have just kept the ball the whole time and not allow that offense to have any chances. I feel like it would have been very similar to last year's Colorado game. You think so? I think so because I, I, I would I would probably argue that Purdue is a little more explosive than yeah. Colorado was. Oh, agree, yeah. But they have that same kind of one all-world talent at receiver in Rondale Moore, um, and as well as a not great defense to supplement the explosive offense. So it would have made for a really interesting contrast of styles, if nothing else. Well, that's right. Rondale Moore got hurt or something last year, didn't he? Uh, yeah, I think so. You know, okay, never mind. I forgot about him. I'm, like, I'm like, I know there's no receiver that was really good. But, yeah, it would have been a tough one. It would have been fun. But I think they could have pulled it off, though. I wouldn't, wouldn't, here's my point about scheme. I wouldn't have been overly shocked had they won, but p- people would have freaked out that Air Force beat Purdue. Mm-hmm. So that game will happen in five to eight years. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah, they, they don't have it on the schedule on Air Force's website anymore. It goes straight from Boise State to at Fresno State. So we go to Fresno State. Okay. Um, well, no, we didn't talk about Boise State. Uh, I'm trying to pass on the game. Apparently, um, I mean, we can't. We kind of have to because, like, that's the first division game of the season. So, I filled out our preseason stuff you sent out, and I don't know if I should change what I want to do here compared to what I already submitted on the poll mat. Okay. Because this game. Is going to decide the Mountain Division. I think whoever wins this game is going to win the division. I can get behind that. That's how important this game is very early in the year, which, again, pains me that it's like, what, week week two? Who mm-hmm. knows? Like, this shouldn't be an early game. This should be one of the games at the end of the year. Like, why can't we swap out the final two weeks because Air Force has New Mexico, Utah State at the end? Why? I know, I know they don't want question. the re- I know they don't want the rematch, but stick it. Within the in November, come on, November is when football's it's made. Pro- it's probably it's probably because the Air Force has to play Navy and Army later in the year. Well, move those like games they don't, up. They don't come play on. a typical non-conference schedule. Well, Army has room to play early in the year. Come on, I I hear what you're saying. I'm just annoyed by it being early. Get on. it, get it. What we're saying is get it together, service academies. <laughs> yeah, come on. Especially Navy and Air Force, you're in a conference. You should be playing within by mid-October all your conference games, non-conference games. They should be done with. So the game itself, um, Boise and Air Force. It's a. It's fair to say that uh, there used to be the triple option problem for Boise State. That's not nearly the case anymore. For the most part, not necessarily. I mean, last year's game was a fist fight, and Boise State didn't really pull away until the fourth quarter. Yeah, because the score wasn't like a double-digit victory, but I remember that fourth quarter they scored like 14 points or something, ran away with it a little bit. So it was yeah. closer than what the end result ended up being. And Boise fans could yell at us for that, but yes, it ended up being a 30-19 to 19 victory. I'm trying to pull up exactly now. It was a, mm. young, a young Hank Bachemeyer, game four of his college career, but that game it was, ended up being Boise scored 20 of the final nine, or 20 of 29 points winning the game because it was 10 mm. at halftime. Boise just kind of like that slow burn where, and if I remember too, there was that weird tip ball that Boise caught and kept a drive going, and I mm-hmm. think in the fourth quarter. So there's a not not Sam fluky at all, but 
beneficial bounces of the oblong shaped ball that never goes where he wants to go. But yeah. when we look at this game this year, like we may obviously spend a touch more. They've got George Tawney back. They have assumingly a, a healthy Hank Bachmeyer back. They have clear here receivers there. Boise does lose some guys in defense, but I expect this game to be similar to last year. Like this is not going to be a blowout either way. And this time it's in Colorado Springs, or excuse me, in uh, yeah, Colorado Springs. Well, to, to make a more specific point, they're what? losing a lot of guys on defense up front in particular. Oh yeah, there you go. Which, which is which is what I think could because in, in Boise State, you know, obviously Curtis Weaver was the guy who got a lot of the headlines, but they had other guys. They were they were very deep last year. And so while they're they have a you know obviously they're the best recruiting team in the in the conference and they're going to have a lot of new names and they're mm-hmm. definitely going to be productive. You know that that turnover is a really interesting narrative, especially when you consider that Air Force has pretty much everybody in their own backfield coming back. So and 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 most of an offensive line intact, if not necessarily the whole thing last year. So it's one of those things where you know some of the dynamics have changed. But maybe not enough for it to still be a, a a runaway victory for either side. If I'm correct, I know in our top fifty account down that's going on now. I'm not gonna go ahead to who we have, but I know we have Scale. I can never say his name properly. He's the nose tackle. Gahion. I think he's the only defensive guy at this moment in the top fifty from Boise State, right? That we've revealed so far. That yeah. I said for now. I said so. Like he's out there, and people thought him being what forty? Was he fifty? He was 50. Tied for 50 with three other guys, I believe. So, but, like, he's, like, the only guy in there. So, like, look at these names. Like, this is, like, the projected starting lineup. Shane Irwin, Scott Matlock, Demetri Washington, Benton Wickersham, all these, like, Ryan Wimpy. How many of those names do you are you familiar from last year? Not many. A few. A few, but not overall. Like, no name stands, like, this guy's going to be a future second-round pick, or he's going to be, a, not to say Leighton Vander, but, like, a top, a top 100 pick in the NFL draft. At this moment, those guys stand out, stand out to me to be that type of guy. Doesn't mean yeah. they can't. Doesn't mean they won't. Doesn't mean this could be a, a depth thing where they have team effort, where they go two and at two to three deep and have some positions up front where the drop-off isn't nearly there, which is what you would expect for Boise State. But yeah. as far as we, what we say now for the offensive lines back for Boise, a couple guys, the running game, the backfield quarterbacks there, it's also an early game for Boise State as well. It's going to be... Uh, it's going to be their fourth, okay, air quotes, fourth game at the moment. Oh, no, that was last year. Sorry. I would have 2019. It's going to be. It would be their second game. Sorry, I'm they, looking they, at. They would get some practice yeah. against the triple option against Georgia Southern. I know. That's so what I mentioned. I'm like, wait, this doesn't look right. Florida State, Marshall. Sorry, I was going back and forth for last year. But you're right. They'd get Georgia Southern. But it's also it's week two for them as well. And so it's not like they get a month of real football. And who knows what fall. Because right now we're looking. We don't know when fall camps are supposed to account start. Like I think the twenty hour week is coming up because these games, like the week one games, are September fifth, mm. and you get six weeks before, and you can start doing your twenty hour week practice. No school has started. I think maybe Florida State. That's all I can think of top of my head. Has done like full team activities. I, I, this game it baffles me what to pick. The home field does eh, leaning more toward the uh, Falcon Blue there though. I mean, there's really only been one true blowout in this series over, like, the past six years, and that was in 2017. What was the score in that one? That, that year was 44-19 to 19 in favor of Boise. 
Twenty. Okay. All right. What? So what? But, but they but they did beat the Broncos in Colorado Springs in uh, 2016 and 2014. So you never know. You know what? Air Force is getting a victory for me. I'm picking the Falcons. I, I'm not that bold. I've got Boise State winning that one. <laughs> I'm I'm in trouble. This is clearly a toss up. It's 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 like looking at the actual percentage of them missing from last year when I didn't realize they were basically dead last. I'm like, that never bodes well for teams, right? Yeah, I mean, I think the other thing we haven't really mentioned is that, you know, Boise State's strength on offense is is probably its passing game this year. Yeah, could be. And, that'll, and that aligns really well with what we just talked about as being, at least in my opinion, Air Force's biggest question, which is their secondary. Exactly. That's why I'm puzzled. Like, could Boise or Air Force's offense run the ball and hold it for 49 minutes? Yeah, I mean that's a possibility, that's, and I think it's I think it's going to be a competitive game. I don't think yeah. Boise State's going to run away with it by any stretch. I'm going toss up Air Force, so there's that. So then they go to Fresno State the week later, where it's going to be mostly would you argue or correctly say a running attack with Ronnie Rivers leading the way? Hard to say. I mean, if they are any if if Kalen DeBoer brings back the offense that he led, you know, a couple of years ago, I imagine it's going to be fairly balanced. And, you know, I think the, the biggest emphasis will be on, on trying to get back to being as mistake-free as possible with whoever ends up at quarterback. Because that was really, I think, one of the biggest differences between, you know, the 2017 and 2018 teams and the 2019 one is that the quarterback was just a little more mistake-prone. And in a lot of other respects, they were just as effective as they had been. Um, and, you know, if you remember last year's game, this was another game where at halftime, they, these two teams basically couldn't stop each other on offense. Uh, and it wasn't really until Air Force made a few stops in, early in the second half that they were able to pull away and, and secure a comfortable win. But, um, you know, I see these two teams, even though they don't run the same kind of offense, as being in kind of the same situation where the defenses are kind of dicey in a lot of respects, mm-hmm. but the offenses might still be pretty potent. And so um, I think Fresno is going to improve, but I do have this one as an Air Force win. I do too. I think like if you're like if DeBoer brings back offense closely enough, the passing will be better. But I just don't think Fresno defense is back to what it was even from a couple years ago. Yeah. So I am leaning toward that. So for an Air Force victory, then they could do Navy the first big game home game versus the midshipmen. Always, it's a fun game to watch. Obviously, you want to watch Air Force Navy, Air Force Army. Midshipmen already have one game. Notre Dame games postponed. Who knows that's going to happen? Lafayette's gone because it's a Patriot League team similar to Hawaii with Fordham. But when you look at what Navy has on their team, or maybe doesn't have, Malcolm Perry's gone. Malcolm Perry was one of the best players in college football last year. He had 3,000 total yards from scrimmage. Yeah, and he was a big reason why Navy was able to steal the Commander-in-Chief's matchup last year. Yeah, and they ended up tying for the West Division and the American, I believe. I mean, he, he was no Donald Hammond throwing the football. Not quite, but, but good but enough. Few service academies are. Yeah, yeah. He's still fifty five percent, seventeen three picks. And Run- the offensive line was not nearly as good as Air Force's was at protecting the quarterback yeah. and passing as well. Yeah, fifteen sacks. <laughs> yeah, two thousand rushing yards by quarterback. Yeah, that that I think more than made up for it. Yeah, he- you know, Navy was definitely the like. Let's let's put it this way. You know, we talked about earlier how Air Force was fifth in the country in sack rate allowed. Uh, Navy was dead last. Not good. Their their sack rate was sixteen point two percent. 
Yikes. Uh, Yikes. Here's the thing, too. Like, Perry's now a running back with the Miami Dolphins. Good for him. Mm-hmm. Like, who's going to be quarterback? I don't know. Like, they have, like, technically, their number two QB last year was C.J. Williams as a right receiver through three or four passes for 90 yards. He was a slot back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but, like... I mean, they've, they've got options. they got, like, uh, Perry Olsen yeah. and Tiger Gosselin, I think, are the two guys who are expected to be in the running to replace him. But that's a lot of production for one guy to try to replace. Here's the thing, though. Like, it's like any academy. He won't be nearly as good as Malcolm Perry, but he'll still mm-hmm. be really dang good at running the ball. That I don't think that's a question to – that's not – like, if we're looking at stuff, that's going to be fine. They're going to run the ball well. Like, mm-hmm. it, they may have Jamal Carruthers, sorry – Carruthers, they're fullback, which Navy does more fullback dives, and so that's all it is. Like, it's just funny looking at their. <laughs> I'm looking at their talent from last year running the ball. QB, fullback, fullback, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, wide receiver, fullback, QB. There's not the first running back's not till Justin Smith with four carries last year. Mm-hmm. The f- official running back, and he does return. <laughs> that's just wild for a team, any team that where the fullback is like five deep before your running back gets mentioned. Yeah, and I mean, but you know, their their defense though was kind of like Air Force's, but just a little bit better in pretty much every respect. You know, I think the, the one thing they had in common, ironically enough, is that they were that, you know, Navy had a lot of trouble in stopping short gutter situations, and that was about it. Like they were one of the better defenses, I would say, overall in the Group of Five last year, which was part of the reason why they had such a successful year overall. And even though they were having to replace a lot of pieces of their own on each level of the defense. Like, I think they still have a lot coming back where, you know, they're, they're kind of like air force. Like they're, in my opinion, they're kind of like mirror images of each other where they're having to replace a lot of those same playmakers on, at, at every level of the defense. Sure. Yes. However, here's what I'll say. If you're returning the best quarterback, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Um, it's overall returning talent. They're 87th in FBS. 50 offense, 66 defense. Or, excuse me, excuse me, 58 defense, 66%. But I'm going... Really? I, I see them as... I, I'm looking at their SP Plus ranking right now. It's, they're projected 55th. Oh, no, I'm going returning talent, I should say. Oh, oh right, right, right. Apologies. 100th in offense, 58th in uh, defense. Gotcha, gotcha. I think it being at home, new quarterback, going up against a seasoned quarterback, I got to go Air Force in this one. Like, I don't want to be homerish and stuff. I think Air Force can take this one. Especially it's at home this time around. Oddly enough, they have uh, SP Plus projects this one to be like the most toss up biest game of toss ups in Navy schedule. Uh, they're they give them a fifty two percent win probability for Navy. For Navy, wonder why that would be. Interesting. Hard to say. Probably probably offense. I would say why Navy has no offense. Their quarterback. He's I mean, good. they've got a lot coming back, just not their quarterback. Yeah, That's the thing. Yeah, we'll see. I, I'm going Air Force. But what, what say you? Uh, I'm going Navy. Really? Ooh. Yeah. Really? Ooh. All right. At San Jose State, can we just say win and move on since we're past an hour already? Yeah, let's do that. What about Hawaii? Is it going? It's at home in Colorado Springs. However, wasn't the last time Hawaii came to town they won in overtime? Wasn't it something like that? I'm trying to remember. But, like, Hawaii's making a long trip. Is that their, I think that's their farthest trip in conference play. Just about Colorado Springs. But, like, again, we're not going to spend a million hours. I think, I think you're right, because Boise and New Mexico are coming to the islands this year. So, we talked about Hawaii before in our prior previews, which our 
win total projection is shot because of what's happened for the Warriors. But like this is a game where it's going to be just passing. It's it's going to be the biggest test for Air Force all year in defending the pass, and that's their weakest point of defense, and that's where there's going to be issues. But go back to our Hawaii podcast to hear everything else. But with what Air Force does well, I don't see why Air Force should just be able to run up run up against the defense triple option style. And when the offense goes three and outs and their defense is gassed from a 12-play, eight-minute drive touchdown, and you tell me your defense gets 90 seconds and they do it again? Interestingly, the, the last time Hawaii came to Colorado Springs, they mm-hmm. beat the Falcons. Oh, that's what that's When was it? Back in, back in 2016, 34-27. Oh. Was it an overtime game? I don't know. Let me look. Let me pull I'm, tr- I'm trying to remember. I knew it was close. I thought... Yeah, I, I, it it was double overtime. Yeah, I was correct. I was right. Yes, I got something right finally. No I'm kidding. Nice, nice memory pull. I had forgotten about. that. I knew one. something like that. So that, that's the thing that was. Uh, but again, they got new head coach, new receivers, um, newish quarterback. They got Miles Reed to run the ball, but I, I just think their defense can't hold up enough for Air Force. So I'm going Air Force victory. I have that one as a win for the Falcons as well. Okay, what about at Hawaii? We just talked about how. I mean, sorry, sorry, sorry. Excuse me. At Wyoming, <laughs> my well, eyes are if you, me. If you listen to our Cowboys podcast, you already know I have this one as an Air Force win as well. Me too, a close win. Um, I guess to give Falcons fans a little bit here, it's going to be like we know what Wyoming's defense can do. It's going to be if they can get past those that new talent because yes, Craig Bulls there, a new defensive coordinator, lose Logan Wilson, lose Cash to the uh, Patriots. That is where he got mm-hmm. drafted. So I think the big thing here is that. Again, as you listened that last podcast, who's the quarterback for Wyoming? If it's Levi, they're going to pass, which will kind of go against Wyoming, but if or go against Air Force secondary. But if it's um, Sean Chambers, that limits the game and shrinks the field to help Air Force more. But like I said before, I say it's an Air Force victory as a close one. Mm-hmm. They go to Army, a victory as well, right? Yeah, I mean Army had a down year last year, and now they're going into 2020 without. Their quarterback from the last couple of years, Kelvin Hopkins Jr., and their leading fullback, Connor Slomka. And, you know, I think it's hard to say how much losing their coordinator on defense, Jay Bateman, in North Carolina really was, but the airport, their, excuse me, the Army defense really had a down year last year, too. But, you know, a lot of that was driven by injury. And so, you know, trials by fire, I think, could help them rebound at least a little bit. But it's really hard for me to see that they have the offensive firepower to be able to keep up with the Air Force. So yeah. I have that one as a Falcons win. Me too. They do have Sandy McCoy, who is their third leading rusher, back 10 TDs, 576. But uh, he'll probably get the bulk of those carries to take over as RB1. But yeah. Air, Army's been good like the past couple of years. I think they might be slowly reverting back to what they were about four to six years ago, mm. which was unfortunately not good. So I have that victory as well. Um, Colorado State, New Mexico at Utah State. CSU is. We've already talked about them, haven't we? Yeah, that was our very first podcast. Yes, it was. Obviously, again, secondary. Nate Kriegmeier, Warren Jackson, Patrick O'Brien throwing the ball to him. It's going to be a tough one. It's at home. Again, it's going to be like the Hawaii game, but you'd hope at this time of the season, the secondary will be seasoned. They've been playing well. They know what they're doing. They're they're just better. But again, it's that Ram defense out in trust. That's why I'm going Falcons to win this rivalry game. Yeah, well, I'm. I had. If you listen to the Colorado State podcast, you already know that I have the Rams winning this one. You do. I do. Is there? I, I probably asked this last time. Is there a trophy in this game? 
It is the Ram Falcon Trophy. I always forget for some reason this one. Uh, New Mexico victory, right? Yes. Okay, then you go to, go to Utah, Utah State. And we do have some news on Utah State here because mm-hmm. we talked about them last time, so that's kind of a whoops on us to do it early, right? The Aggie podcast. It, it happens. <laughs> um, they got a transfer from University of Utah, Jason Shelley, which I was like, Psh, whatever. He wasn't great for Utah. He did play in the Pac-12 title game, but it was mostly him handing off to Zach Moss and that defense. He goes to Utah State and like, oh, quarterback controversy, quarterback challenge. I'm like, Matt, when are they going to have the time to practice against each other, right? Mm-hmm. Football starts in a month. Days later, today as we recorded this, July 15th, Henry Columbia transfers, enters the portal, leaving Utah State. He gone. His dad's on the coaching staff. Honestly, I don't blame him. Why? Because, like, what possible reason would there be for Gary Anderson to bring in another quarterback? I know, depth-wise, because they had nobody behind Columbia. They had four quarterbacks on the roster already. Come on, a guy who's played. You could have said that about them this time last year or two years ago. Not last year. Well, I mean, when they when they made Jordan Love the starter, it wasn't like they had any proven entities behind him. And Columbia came in, was pretty well regarded as a redshirt freshman, played pretty well when he got a chance, had a chance to hold off you know an opponent in a, in a close game at least once last year, and you know he looked the part. You know, he looked like he was a pretty strong in if not necessarily an incumbent, like a pretty strong front runner for that starting job. He was, but like I've seen Jason Shelley play up close in person, and I don't think he's that great of a quarterback. Like I see, that's what I'm saying. Like, like, what was the point of this? I I, okay. Here's some conspiracy. Gary Anderson was at Utah at the time Shelley was. However, Anderson was Anderson was like a defensive consultant. He like I don't even think he had an official title. He's like one of those analyst guys that teams bring in, and like bringing him in for depth, I get it because there's two years of eligibility left, and maybe like well. Let's go with the guy who's actually played, and he played at the Pac-12, played the Pac-12 title game, like I said, but didn't play very well. Wasn't great. He read his reason Tyler Huntley came back and clear, clear, clearly took over. I I guess it's death, but also why is Columbia just leaving the second it happens? Because look at the circumstances. He knows the system. He's been around. He's played a decent amount the past two years, particularly 2018. There's probably going to be limited to no fall camp. Your starting job was in no jeopardy at all by this, by this move. Well, maybe, I don't think. Maybe, maybe, I don't maybe think. Not, I don't think it was. Shelley comes in with immediate eligibility. Yeah, still, he's not around. He knows nothing about this offense. I'm just saying, I don't blame anybody for leaving. I, I don't. I'm not saying that, but I just think it's a peculiar reason to leave. Like we've seen a. Plus, you mentioned before how many transfer quarterbacks work. I know. Marcus McMarion at Fresno worked. He came in, sat for three weeks, whatever to learn, then took over the job after the bye week. Like, that could be, that's almost the exact same timing we're looking at. But then again, we also had football at that time, knowing fall camp was coming. I just, I don't think, I don't think he would have been, like, you're telling me Columbia wouldn't start game one if Shelly was there? I mean, I think that he would have. I just don't get to move. And, but speaking of the Air Force wise, that's, by the time this game is played, end of the year, it doesn't matter. It's going to be Jason Shelley, but I like Jalen Ward running the ball. I just don't know what to make. Aggies also go with a victory for Air Force because that's what I had last week. I just think the QB situation is just odd and interesting, particularly when 
you transfer, you don't know what's going on in this upcoming year. You have a sure thing. But maybe it's a a game where it's going to be run, run, run versus run, run, run with Warren, Warren versus the uh, Falcons attack. But I got Falcons winning. Same. So if you've been keeping track, Matt, uh, you know what my record is? What's that? <laughs> 11 and 0. <laughs> Wait, really? Yes, I do have it. And I am struggling to continue wow. to say okay. I'm going to 11 and 0. And that's that's not including the Purdue game, right? No, it's canceled. It's like no. That's true. All right, all right. I have a couple toss ups. I, I just don't know what to make of this because I predicting undefeated stupid and dumb, right? You should you shouldn't really be doing it unless you're like a top ten team, right? You know what I mean? I you you can do whatever you like. I did do it what I like, but looking at who they play and when they play, like Wyoming's a tough game. Boise State's the most losable game on the schedule. Wyoming's number two. Maybe CSU, maybe Navy, and that somewhere in that range. But I apparently have them going undefeated. So, yeah, I do not. I know you do not. I think you have three losses in there. No, I have them at seven and four. Seven, oh, four loss. Oh boy, but I'm, I'm but also here. six and two in conference. Who are the conference losses? Boise State and Colorado State. Colorado, State. like they could lose Colorado State. That offense, the Colorado State, could be the surprise team of the league. Mm-hmm. I, I maybe I'm just falling in love with Air Force going 11 and two last year, bringing the quarterback back, bringing the running game back. I here's the thing, I'm pretty sure they're not going undefeated, but game by game, I I don't see why not. Like any anybody in the schedule, they could like. Do you agree? Would you agree with me that anybody in the schedule they could beat? Yes. There's no team that's saying, guaranteed, they're not going to win no matter what. I don't think there's any team on the schedule that fa- that they face. I would agree with that, yes. All right. With that, I already know I'm getting hate mail from a couple guys for saying 11 no. <laughs> We're, there's about to be a couple people in the group DM in a couple days when this podcast shows up telling or, you about this. Or it depends on they listen, too. But that's what I have. So our next podcast, uh, we'll see what, it, what it's going to be or what it's going to be. Most likely team previews. We may... Mix in a couple of shorter ones because this one's, oh boy, 80 minutes now. We've been going way too long tonight. But hope you enjoy it, folks. You're welcome. Yes, the off se- the ultimate offseason is trudging along, as we say. Uh, but, yeah, we'll be back uh, probably in a couple days talking uh, another team. We'll put Well, next time we'll put up Twitter because this one came at us quickly. So we just chose Air Force or I chose Air Force. So we'll put up a poll. We have just, uh, what, four teams left? Uh, as of right now, we have not Three? done Boise, New Mexico. Nevada, San Jose, Fresno, and UNLV. So we have five more. Oh, we've done New Mexico. Okay. All right, we've got five more. Middle of July. We'll be back to preview all those. Uh, check out the website, mwire.com. You're doing a great job on our previews, top 50 countdown. We've got the award season coming around. We're going to – we're Matt. We're debating how to do our out-of-conference previews, but they're coming along in some form or fashion. But check us out everywhere, and, yeah, we'll see you next time. <laughs>